This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Our reading is taken from the Acts of the Apostles. This is Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. Acts 11, 15 through 18. This is St. Peter's description of the baptism of the Gentiles. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift he gave to us when we came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to be able to hinder God? When they heard this, they stopped objecting and glorified God, saying, God has then give, granted life-giving repentance to the Gentiles too. Let us pray. Most merciful Father, we praise you for the apostolic preaching in the church. We ask you now to pour forth the Holy Spirit upon us, that we, with St. Peter and all the apostles, may preach in a way that causes people to glorify you. We make this prayer in Jesus' name, and we pray as he taught, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Our Lady Queen of the Apostles, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I love this passage from Acts chapter 11 because in this passage you see St. Peter's description of what happened when he was preaching to the Gentiles. So think back again on the scene. He describes how while he was preaching to them, the Holy Spirit came down upon them and he was able to recognize how just as he and others who had been gathered in that upper room on Pentecost Sunday had experienced the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit was falling upon those who uh, were not of the chosen people, those who were of the Gentiles. And when did the Holy Spirit do this? While Simon Peter was preaching. And then when uh, those believers uh, who were from the chosen people heard how the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit just as they had, what did they do? They glorified God. I love that. Now, this talk in our intellectual retreat on the Trinity and priestly life, praying, preaching, and ministering the light of the mystery of God, is dedicated to that verb of preaching. And this talk is preaching as praising the Trinity. Preaching as praising the Trinity. It has three parts to it. First, we're going to consider what is preaching. Two, we're going to have a sort of secular Trinitarian uh, model of Aristotle's rhetoric. Okay, so he has a threesome there in, in the rhetoric that will help us think about preaching as praising. And then the third part of the talk will be preaching as praising in terms of the three divine persons. Okay, so generally, uh, what is preaching? Number one, two, Aristotle's rhetoric of three terms to help us consider preaching as praising. And then three, preaching as praising in terms of the three divine persons. Now, uh, just in terms of uh, what is preaching, well, first off, let's just go back to something really, really philosophical uh, about something very, very broad. It is something. 
Okay, it is something. And uh, if it is true to what uh, it's supposed to be, it praises God. Everything that is true to what it is meant to be proclaims the glory of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God just by being what God created them to be. Uh, St. Catherine of Siena says, you know, if you are who God means you to be, you'll set all Italy on fire. There's just something about being what, um, if it is what it's supposed to be, it praises God because God is the one who is the creator. And then in terms of our uh, created to the image of God, God is our recreator. You know, that he gives us the recreation, the new creation, and leads us to glory. Okay, so in terms of... Uh, his glory and ours, because that's uh, because he wants us to experience his glory in heaven and to share that glory. You can think about the Daniel 3 canticle that we sing uh, for Sunday morning of week one in the Liturgy of the Hours and on feast day. Bless the Lord, all you works of the Lord. So everything that is, if it is true to what it is meant to be, praises the Lord, blesses the Lord. So preaching if it really is preaching, glorifies God just by being true to itself. Now, the sad thing is you can have your own list of what things pretend to be preaching and are not preaching, right? Okay, so this masquerades as preaching, but it really is a form of advertising. This masquerades as preaching, but it's really a form of political uh, uh, show. This, uh, you know, you can just, you know, this, so, so there are things that, um, that could come across as preaching, but they're not preaching, and therefore they don't praise God. They're not true to what it's meant to be. Now, okay, so that's just a general, more philosophical statement. Uh, uh, let's get into uh, uh, some good Latin etymology. The verb in Latin, the usual verb in Latin to preach is predicare. Now, uh, the Roman Missal has two Eucharistic prefaces for Marian Masses, and the first one communicates a medieval uh, prayer tradition uh, that has three verbs in it. Okay, so in the Roman Missal, it's collaudare, okay, so to praise strongly or together. In the Dominican Missal, it's simply laudare, okay, so laudare, benedicere, predicare, to praise, to bless, to preach. It's a motto of the order of preachers, okay? It's a Dominican motto, to praise, to bless, to preach. It's taken from that Eucharistic preface of a Marian mass, to praise, to bless, to preach. But how is it translated in the uh, new translation of the Roman Missal? To praise, to preach, and to glorify. Predicare, huh? Yes, because actually the verb predicare means to make known, to, um, uh, uh, to, uh, to tell out, and to glorify and to preach are both perfectly legitimate translations of predicare. The same verb means to glorify and to preach. The same verb, okay? Now, then you can think about how those who are preachers are, in a sense, meant to be glorifiers. Those who are preachers are meant to be glorifiers. Because when you tell forth, okay, when you tell forth uh, what God has done, you are doing this not only for the souls who are there listening to you, 
but for God who is there, glorifying his holy name. All right, so this is where, in terms of just thinking about uh, how preaching is praising, to preach is to praise. Now, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, St. Paul says, First, I give thanks to my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is heralded throughout the gospel. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in proclaiming the gospel of his Son. Okay, God is my witness, whom I serve, and that Greek verb is latruo, so whom I serve or whom I adore, with my spirit in proclaiming the gospel of his Son. That precisely in terms of of that worship of God, that it's through the gospel of his son. So in terms of going to the Father with the gospel of his son. The Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments in 2014 issued the homiletic directory. And the homiletic directory says, because the homily is an integral part of the liturgy, it is not only an instruction, it is also an act of worship. Okay, so the homily as a part of the liturgy is not only an instruction, it is also an act of worship. The CDW continues, the homily is a hymn of gratitude for the magnania dei, which not only tells those assembled that God's word is fulfilled in their hearing, but praises God for this fulfillment. Okay, so I love that phrase, hymn of gratitude. The homily is a hymn of gratitude. It really should sing forth. Sing out uh, in praise and thanks of God for his great deeds, the magnalia dei, the great deeds of God. Uh, and that, it, that this is not only a matter of being things fulfilled in the ears of those listening to you, um, but it praises God for that fulfillment. All right, so then you can think about how, because preaching is a part of that act of worship, uh, that worship is precisely receiving divine uh, benefits, uh, good things from God. So worship fundamentally is how God bestows things on us and then how we, uh, we, uh, we then, uh, by that sanctification, can give glory to God, okay? That we then uh, offer him our praise and thanks, all of our prayers. And then you can think about the importance of the mediatorial role of Christ the priest, in the Father's economy of salvation, that by the Holy Spirit, we are gathered into Christ, the high priest, uh, who is that two-way street, okay, of worship. So, the, because the two ends of the glory of God and the sanctification of man are always united, uh, always to, you know, you cannot really have one without the other, properly speaking, and that, that is worship. Okay, so, so preaching then, precisely in terms of uh, has, uh, recognizes that God has done great things, recognizes that God has blessed us, and, and so then uh, by that sanctification, we then offer God our worship, okay? Precisely because we're made rational, we can speak, we can use our mouths at the service of, of God's mighty deeds and to let other people know what, what is in our heart. Okay, so that's preaching in general, okay? And particularly looking at preaching precisely from the view of preaching as praising. That was section one. Section two, Aristotle's rhetoric. Okay, so um, Aristotle has a, a, 
a triad that's very useful for all sorts of public speaking. Okay, so uh, since the fourth century BC, uh, in different ways, uh, this has been used by various people. And these three different parts can be used for us to think more about preaching as praising. So what are these, uh, what are these three? Athos is the character of the speaker. Okay, so the character of the speaker. Uh, and when we think of this in terms of not just public speaking in general, but in terms of preaching, the preacher's character is to show evidence to his listeners that he loves, adores, and magnifies God. Okay? Aristotle didn't think it was simply a matter of, that it was not a matter of something lifelong, actually, about the speaker. When, when he uses the word ethos, he uses it to mean that even if you don't know anything about the preacher's life, or the speaker's life for Aristotle, that just in the very act of speaking, you, in a sense, give testimony about a truthfulness of your character. Okay? Now, we can think about how useful that is uh, for, uh, for, uh, for an adaptation for preaching. Okay? Because, yes, ultimately, there is something much broader and much deeper about a preacher's life. That's extremely important. But even if someone doesn't know anything about you, that that person can step into your church and see you preaching and then have, have your witness as credible simply by what you are doing, how you are speaking. You know, in, in terms of that, that you are there, you are there to praise the Trinity. Okay? You're not trying to... Uh, get something out of the people, you're trying to praise the Trinity, which means then showing that God is blessing you and the people, and that you as the priest are lifting up then, uh, the, the church's prayers and praises to God. Okay, so, so that the preaching really uh, does uh, communicate that. Well, we could learn from a fourth century deacon, St. Ephraim the Syrian, uh, who, uh, who really did have much preaching that was singing uh, the thanksgiving of God, who says, make me worthy, even me, to offer praise to you. Make me worthy, even me, to offer praise to you. Okay, so it's that character of the preacher uh, that, uh, that then uh, allows us uh, in our own witness to glorify God, that we as preachers glorify God, the Trinity. Second one is pathos, okay? So we were talking about athos, the character of the preacher. Pathos is how the, those listening are moved, okay? Those listening are moved. Now, uh, notice how in that passage from Acts of the Apostles, Simon Peter uh, gives evidence of his own character. He also uh, uh, shows how when he, when he reports back to those of the chosen people who were already believers in Jesus about the baptism of the Gentiles, that what do they do? They're moved to praise God. They glorify God. So then how preaching then in terms of praising the Trinity is not just simply that the preacher praises God, but that he moves those who are listening to him to praise God. Uh, and if listeners do not give thanks and praise to God after a homily, 
What has the homily accomplished? If listeners do not give thanks and praise to God after a homily, what has the homily accomplished? It's a question. All right, so then, uh, so then to be, because, because when, when I preach in a church, I preach for particular persons, those who are there in the church. Okay, I really do this uh, for, for those in, in, you know, so you just think about how, you know, it's, it's directed to particular souls and you want them to be moved, the pathos of those listening to you. Okay, so ethos, pathos, and, and the, the third one is logos. So the word logos um, can mean the speech itself. So you can just think about the homily. So every three parts of preaching, like every three parts of speaking, is um, the preacher, those listening to the preacher, and the preaching, uh, the homily. So the logos, the homily, or the preaching itself. The homily itself, objectively, is to be in praise of God. It is meant to be true, good, beautiful. Okay? It resembles the one who alone is true, good, and beautiful. The logos of the homily, really, in order to do this well, needs to come from God. That's why our preaching occurs after the reading of sacred scripture. So in terms of what is the material content of our preaching, it really should be, in some way, the word of God. If it is not the word of God, it is not preaching. It is not true to itself. And only God's word at work in us, you know, that word which, um, which is living and effective, which goes forth from God to, for, for work, it's only that word then that is, is saving. And that word can be expressed in our words. That word can be expressed in our words. So that preaching is not just simply um, uh, reading uh, uh, one text after another from sacred scripture, because after all, we did that already. Okay? Right. So, so it's not simply a matter of just reading more of scripture, because we, we read the scripture. It's now that word being expressed in, um, it's, you could use, a, in a sense, it's kind of an incarnational reality uh, of what is happening in terms of the verbal or verbalization uh, for our, uh, our way of speaking here and now. All right, so uh, Aristotle uses these three terms, ethos, pathos, and logos, in, in different ways to show different kinds or types of speech. Of the different kinds or types, I think uh, in terms of uh, something that would be helpful for us to consider today is the kind of speech that Greek orators would call epideictic. Okay, epideictic comes from a Greek word that means to show. So um, speakers uh, who wanted to show something wanted to elicit one of two responses uh, for those who were being shown something. One was blame, okay? So the psagos. Uh, he is terrible. He is a threat to the nation. He has, uh, you know, and so um, by doing that, um, you want, to, uh, you want to convince people um, to blame. The other, in terms of the praise, you know, is to be able to uh, say how wonderful, he is wonderful, he is all good, uh, he is our salvation. 
Okay, so that fundamentally then, notice that it's not a matter in, in the epideictic uh, to, um, to tell people what to do. It's about showing people someone, and that preaching is fundamentally showing people God. Showing people who God is, the Trinity, and the great deeds that God has done for us. And then to be able to, to see how it is, you know, God is worthy to be praised. God is worthy to be praised there in the sacred liturgy and offering that sacrifice of the mass and throughout the day, throughout all of life. All right. So, so this is where in terms of preaching as praising that, that uh, yes, there needs to be uh, communicating, you know, some sort of instruction, you know, but, but ultimately... It's about showing God, letting people experience God. And that way then they, um, they can give thanks and praise. You know, they can repent, they can pray for things that they need. You know, and then ultimately, you know, the highest form of uh, prayer, simply praising God for who he is, because that's, that's what we're called to do in heaven. That's, that's, how we're, that's how we enjoy God. That's how we enjoy God. And St. John Henry Newman um, said, Heaven would be hell to an irreligious man. Heaven would be hell to an irreligious man. So if, uh, because what do they do in, in heaven? Well, they praise God. And, and John Henry Newman uh, makes the connection in terms of what people do in the church. If you don't want to be praising God in church, why would you want to go to heaven? Okay, because, because this is about praising God. But do our people experience the praise of God in church? Are they open to that? Are they, are they being freed to praise God for who he is? Okay. Or are there obstacles? Simon Peter said, who am I to hinder God? You know, I remember Father Francis Martin, God rest him, uh, taught me a course on the church and the Acts of the Apostles. You know, and Simon Peter, you know, he says, who am I to hinder God? You know, I remember Father Martin said, you know, Basically, you know, no priest should ever get in the way of God. Okay, so in terms of that transparency, precisely in our preaching, never to get in the way of God, never trying to, never hindering God, not having obstacles. Okay, so, so in, in terms of, you know, our very humanity being a bridge uh, uh, to God. Okay, so that's the, the second part in terms of uh, fun with Aristotle and the use of Aristotle's uh, three terms for preaching is praising. Now we go to the three divine persons. And I'd like to go Holy Spirit, Son, Father. Okay, Holy Spirit, Son, Father. And with the Holy Spirit, I want to emphasize how preaching can be called the grace of the word. Preaching can be called the grace of the word. And in terms of different kinds of graces, there's the grace that we usually um, speak of which is the grace that makes one pleasing. So we often call the sanctifying grace, the grace that makes one pleasing. But besides that grace, the other um, major kind of grace is graces freely given. Graces freely given. So this is St. Thomas's vocabulary. And the graces freely given are sometimes called today charismatic graces, okay, the charismatic gifts. The graces freely given are not for the one who is exercising them, but for the sake of the church. 
Okay, so the graces freely given actually can be exercised by someone in a state of mortal sin. Okay, it's because uh, God is using that one for the good of others, for the good of the church. And, uh, and so, yes, you can think about preaching precisely as something of uh, being ordained, and that's, and, and that's very good, okay? St. Thomas considers it as grace of the word uh, in the Secunda Secunde, uh, question 177, and I think this is something useful here, okay? So in terms of thinking about, oh, so this is what God does for the sake of his church, is that he uses especially the ordained in the sacred liturgy for the grace of the word for the sake of his people. God loves his people. And God will use uh, weak instruments uh, for the sake of his people so that just as when Simon Peter was preaching and the Holy Spirit then used Simon Peter's preaching to get into people's hearts, well, that's what the Holy Spirit can do now through our preaching. That's who the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit uh, will use the things of our lives, including our words in the sacred liturgy, so, uh, so as to cause people to be in Jesus the way to go back to the Father. Now, uh, now St. Thomas borrows from St. Augustine's Book 4 of On Christian Doctrine for, uh, three, uh, for three terms, and St. Augustine borrows basically these three terms from Cicero. Okay, so again, continuing a rhetorical tradition. Earlier, we were looking at the Greek tradition with Aristotle. This is an adaptation of the Latin tradition with Cicero. So what are these three? The three are to teach, to please, and to sway. I'll repeat, to teach, to please, and to sway. So, um, and, and St. Thomas says, yes, this can be done on a natural level, but the Holy Spirit takes this up for what we could call a supernatural level in the grace of the word because it has a supernatural inspiration that's used in an instrumental way by God for a supernatural end, all right? Uh, so the three, to teach, to please, to sway, to teach. Now, we have intellects. And in order to communicate to another intellect, oftentimes we need words. Okay? Now, hand gestures can be appropriate uh, uh, or supplemental, but there's something very powerful about our words to be able to communicate, to get to someone to think in a particular way. You know? So, so, we, so, uh, so to be able to do this, and I, and I emphasized earlier in terms of something about questioning. Uh, preachers in the early church loved to ask questions. You know, why don't we ask more questions? Because even by asking a question, you teach. Think about our Lord, the fifth joyful mystery of the rosary, um, that our Lord is teaching by asking the teachers questions. Okay? So, so instruction then is not just simply, here's the information I'm going to go through, but to engage people's minds by, uh, by truth. And oftentimes it's a matter of the, that questioning, that searching, teaching. Second one, the Holy Spirit causes the preacher not only to preach, not only to teach, but to please his listeners. Now, there are some people who say, uh, I'm not about entertaining my people, okay? Uh, and they've had enough of preachers, you know, because 
uh, sometimes people pretend that uh, this is preaching, but it's not really preaching. It's just, it's just entertainment, okay? And then it's not going to give glory to God because it's not true for what it is. But you know what? Every preaching, in some sense, needs to be pleasing in some way. Okay? Pleasing ultimately to God. St. John Chrysostom emphasizes this in his On the Priesthood. But in order for um, there to be some sort of success, some sort of reaching people, on some level, on some level, the preaching needs to please people. Okay? Because uh, that's how you win people over, is to please. Is, is to please. Okay, so it's, I'm not saying that preaching should be entertainment because it then would no longer be preaching, but preaching actually needs to be pleasing on some level. So to teach, to please, and the third one is to sway, to sway, to win the victory. Okay, so that, uh, that, that you know that there are all sorts of hostilities. There are hostilities in my heart to God. There are hostilities in the hearts of those who listen to you and, to, and good preaching wins people over, wins the victory for our Lord. And that people then, um, you know, by being instructed, by being taught, by being pleased, then, then they say, yes, amen, okay? That they submit their lives again over to praising God. St. Thomas says, in order to effect this, the Holy Spirit makes use of the human tongue as of an instrument. But it is he who perfects the work within, St. Gregory the Great says in a homily for Pentecost, as St. Thomas is quoting, unless the Holy Spirit filled the hearts of the hearers, in vain does the voice of the teacher resound in the ears of the body. Unless the Holy Spirit filled the hearts of the hearers, in vain does the voice of the teacher resound in the ears of the body. Okay, so that's St. Gregory the Great, quoted by St. Thomas Aquinas. So there you see then in terms of the Holy Spirit causing us uh, uh, to, to praise, to give praise to God through the act of preaching. Now, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. And so we now go to Jesus concerning the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh, John chapter 1, 14. And, uh, and so God uh, well, wants us, you know, by being moved by the Holy Spirit, we as preachers can look to see Jesus himself as the preeminent preacher who gives praise. So think of Matthew chapter 11. You know, Jesus, the word made flesh, says, after reproaching the towns of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. All right, so then uh, in terms of that word, we have him in the Gospels. He is our preeminent model for preaching. He is the word made flesh, okay? So all of us, um, in a sense, uh, you know, we're called to be in him, configured to him, St. Augustine uses a distinction between the word made flesh is one thing, that's Jesus alone. The word in the flesh is what the saints and the prophets, those whole, the, the, the saints and the holy ones have in a sense the word in the flesh, but not the word made flesh. There's only one hypostatic union. But, the, but, but Christ is to be dwelling in us. Think about St. Paul, the, the constant imagery of being in Christ and Christ in us. Right? Well, that's the word. And then how... 
um, how preachers, you know, priests as preachers in a special way are to live out that word, to live out that, that, that word and then to be able to speak it. Okay, St. John Chrysostom says in On the Priesthood, when all is said and done, there's only one means and only, uh, there is only one means and only method of treatment available, and that is teaching by word of mouth. That is the best instrument, the best diet, and the best climate. It takes the place of medicine and cautery. When we need to cauterize or cut, we must use this. Without it, all else is useless. Okay, so. Um, so St. John Chrysostom sees that there are lots of problems in the church. Do you see lots of problems in the church? What's the answer? Preaching. Preaching. Priestly preaching and praise of God is the answer. Okay, um, St. John Chrysostom is saying it is on, on the priesthood. And we're saying it today. We need more and more preachers to be able to show people God, his holiness, his truthfulness, his beauty, God. And then allow people to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and to be in Jesus himself. You know, um, uh, you know because the word was made flesh, so that way we may experience him now, particularly in terms of, of the faith that comes through the hearing of the word and the sacraments. Origin of Alexandria says, what good is it if I should say that Jesus has come in that flesh alone which he received from Mary, and I should not show also that he has come in this flesh of mine? What good is it if I should say that Jesus has come in that flesh alone which he received from Mary, and I should not show also that he has come in this flesh of mine. And origin actually goes to uh, what we have uh, uh, from Genesis 17. So the, the first reading of, of mass today. Uh, Thus my covenant will be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. is from Genesis 17. And he's preaching on that because he sees that, that the uh, everlasting covenant is to be in the flesh. In the flesh. Okay, so circumcision in Genesis 17, and that we then are to have lives marked in the flesh by the word, okay, that, that people will, will see this. And so, so St. John, uh, sorry, so, so Origen um, uh, uh, says, you know, from 1 John, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Uh, I show, Origen declares, I show the covenant of God to be in my flesh if I shall have been able to say in accordance with Paul that I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the morning prayer reading this morning from Galatians chapter two. And if I shall have been able to say, as he said, but I bear the marks of my Lord Jesus Christ in my body. Okay, without the enfleshment of the word in origin, the incarnation would be in vain for him. If if Jesus doesn't take up our lives, the incarnation is in vain, is in vain for us. Jesus, became, um, Jesus came to us, the word made flesh, so that way he may be inside us. He may be inside us. Now, uh, if we then go on next to the Father, okay? So in terms of just thinking about, okay, so the, 
the three persons, the, the Holy Spirit, particularly in terms of that grace of the Holy, um, the grace of the Word, which is a charismatic gift, a gift freely given, and then in terms of just thinking about that Jesus Himself is the Word made flesh, that He, you know, He is the preeminent model, and that He wants holy preachers to to um, to accept His life, um, who He is, so as to be able to communicate that for people um, by word and deed. Now, finally, the Father. Everything is ad patrum. Everything is to the Father. To the Father. The Second Vatican Council's decree on the ministry and life of priests says, thus the Eucharistic action over which the priest presides is the very heart of the congregation. So priests must instruct their people to offer to God the Father, the divine victim and the sacrifice of the Mass, and to join to it the offering of their own lives. Okay, so precisely that uh, there's a priestly instruction where we are um, uh, as priests to make sure that people understand that this is the divine victim made present at the mass and to offer that victim and their own lives and sacrifice in union with that victim ad patrum to the father. Okay, you can think about the beginning of Romans chapter 12. I beg you through the mercy of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, your spiritual, or more technically, rational worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may judge what is God's will, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Okay, so this is where in terms of Paul is giving that priestly exhortation and that is what we are to do, too, so that way people, um, you know, through the mercy of God, may offer their, may give themselves over, okay? So we want, you know, everybody is made to the image of God. Everybody then has that free choice. We, um, we cannot make people's decisions for them, okay? It's hard enough to make my own decisions, okay? And this is where, in terms of, we cannot get inside people. God can you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit is at work, bringing them to Jesus, and that Jesus is the way back to the Father. And that way is precisely in sacrifice. Okay, pick up your cross and follow me. Where's, where's Jesus going? To the Father. To the Father. So in terms of helping people see in our preaching that to carry the cross, you know, and not to lay it down, until they, ha they are there in the presence of the Father, okay? It's, uh, it's only after death then that the cross, that, that it's only after death that Christ is taken down from the cross. Why would we expect our cross to be removed before then? In fact, it's, it's our way to heaven, okay? So St. Rose of Lima says there's, there's no other ladder by which we may climb to heaven, no other, no other bridge, no, besides the cross of Christ. And then to think about heaven a little bit more. So heaven is precisely, um, well, how much preaching will you do in heaven? Okay. Now, if preaching is that moral instruction uh, about, uh, okay, that's done, okay? Get, preaching is not a place for the sacraments. So if it's not a place for the sacraments, it's not a place for the usual sense of preaching. But praise, that's a whole different story. That's 
primarily the activity, a loving praise, uh, a loving praise in heaven. You know, so um, a lot of people today don't even have a proper imagination, let alone, say, good theological uh, instruction about these things. A lot of people can't even imagine what heaven is like. St. Augustine, in one of his sermons, uh, uh, wants people to think more about heaven, you know, because we're meant to be with the Father forever and praising. And, um, and so St. Augustine says, you know, there, it's not a time, there's no longer any works of mercy. Okay, so in terms of the importance of mercy, actually, uh, you know, uh, 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 what hungry person will you feed in heaven? What will you do? A, a Dominican priest uh, who very much loves St. Therese with me, uh, uh, you know, said in terms of, I'll spend my heaven doing good on earth. His response to that was, well, okay, but that's a part-time job. <laughs> okay? So, uh, so, so then it's like, oh, okay, so what? Now, now St. Augustine says uh, that, um, that it's also not sleep. Okay, so there's no works of mercy, and it's actually not sleep. Okay, because there's no, there's no sleeping is is in a sense an image of death, and heaven is life, life. So uh, we're not going to slumber and do nothing because sleep too is something that has been given to the soul as a support for its defects. Saint Augustine says. Uh, all right. So now Saint Augustine continues in the sermon. Uh, our whole activity will consist of amen and alleluia. Our whole activity will consist of amen and alleluia. What do you say, brothers and sisters? St. Augustine continues. I can see that you hear and are delighted, but don't let yourselves again be depressed by the flesh-bound thought that if any of you were to stand and say amen and alleluia all day long, you would droop with fatigue and boredom, and you would drop off to sleep in the middle of your words and long to keep quiet, and for that reason, you might suppose it is a life you can well do without, not at all desirable, and might say to yourselves, Amen and Alleluia. We're going to say that forever and ever. Who will be able to endure it? So St. Augustine you know, takes into account the objection. And then he says, So I will tell you if I can, as best as I can, it isn't in fleeting sounds that we shall be saying Amen and Alleluia but with the affection of the mind and heart. After all, what does amen mean and what's hallelujah? Amen, it's true. Hallelujah, praise God. Right, so imagine heaven, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, being on the way of Jesus, you come to the Father, immersed in the life of the Trinity, you see God face to face. The beatific vision. Amen. It's true. It's true. There are no atheists in heaven. There are no doubters in heaven. There are no temptations. Like, what's happening? Why? None of that. Amen. It's true. And because you see the truth, hallelujah, praise God. The Father knows that life is very difficult here. That's why he sent his son, born of the Virgin Mary, and he sent the Holy Spirit 
to the spirit of adoption to be in our hearts. So that way in Christ the Son, we may cry out, Abba, Father. Preaching is precisely during this time on earth to let people praise now so that by the mystery of the most holy trinity, that central mystery of Christian faith and life, we may be caught up into God and forever and ever cry out, Amen and Alleluia.